this is Allison Carter, Occupational Therapist with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 86, and today I will be talking about the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. Um, When I started writing this show, I thought I could fit it all into one episode, but it turns out that I have a lot more to say about this topic than I originally thought. So instead of making you all wait longer for me to finish writing on this topic, I decided I would break it up into two shows. So for today, this is going to be part one, and I will continue working on the rest of the topic, and the next episode will be part two. So for today, I will talk about the ATNR reflex, what it looks like, when it typically integrates, and what it could look like in kids if it does not integrate or is considered retained. Then for part two, in the next episode, I will talk about different exercises and treatments to work on this reflex if it becomes retained, and um, discussion of a research study on the topic of retained primitive reflexes in general. Before I get started, for those of you who were somehow able to make it through the last episode with my boring, monotonous voice, and based on the statistics that I'm able to see, It looks like most of the people who downloaded that show were actually able to get through the whole thing. Since you made it through, you might as well get some credit for it. I have loaded a CEU option for that episode now. If you go back to that episode, look in the show notes and click on the yellow buy now button and that will take you to PayPal where you can purchase the test. Once that happens, I will get an email notifying me of that and I will send you the PDF file with the test and all of the information needed for you to be able to get your continuing education credit for that show. Now it will be half a credit because it's 30 minutes, that's how all my shows are. So if you purchase that one and one additional show, you will be able to turn in one full credit. It's only $10 per test. so. For only $20, you can get one full credit. That's a really good price, and you will be supporting me in the process. It really kind of works out for both of us. Don't forget that you can also support this show by using the Amazon links on my website at mymidwesttherapy.com to make all of your Amazon purchases. I really appreciate those of you who have already done that for me. Now for today... I want to talk about the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, or the ATNR, in more depth than I have in the past. The ATNR is often referred to as the fencing reflex because of the position of the body, the arms, legs, and the head, when the reflex is active. It resembles a fencing position, or I also like to refer to it as the archer reflex, because I also think that it looks like the position of a person shooting a bow and arrow. To explain the position in more detail, you check for this reflex by laying the infant on their back, preferably on the floor or some type of solid surface. The goal is to get them to turn their head all the way towards the right and then also the left side. With infants, you can either do this by gently nudging their head to turn towards the side so the right side of their head is touching the surface they're laying on, Or you can lay with your face or hold a toy at the ground level on that side and just try to get their attention and see if they can turn their head in that direction on their own. 
if they have the skills to do this action. The key here is to get them to hold that position with their head turned to one side for a few seconds. The reflex may not kick in instantaneously when their head turns to the side. It may take a second or two or three before you can really observe the full reflex in action. What the reflex will look like when they are turning towards the right side is this. The face will be turned to the right. Their right arm will extend at the elbow so that their right arm will be straight out to the right side. It will look like their face is looking at their hand. At the same time, their right leg will extend at the knee so their leg is straight down or maybe slightly out towards the right. Also at the same time, their left arm will flex or bend at the elbow so that their hand is up close to the back of their head. And their left leg will flex or bend at the knee and also slightly at the hip. After observing the right side, let them rest, reset for a minute by just looking around it or looking at midline or just in a relaxed position that doesn't elicit the reflex. Then switch to the left side and repeat the process. On the left side, you will see the same as the right side, only now opposite on the left. Their face will be looking to the left. Their left arm will extend out with straight elbow and they will appear to be it might actually be looking at their hand. The left leg will extend at the knee and their right elbow will bend or flex and their right hand will be up towards the back of their head. The right leg will be flexed at the knee and possibly slightly flexed at the hip. If you look on my Instagram page, I have a picture of a one month old in this position that I posted not too long ago. It was a picture of my son that I took almost 13 years ago, and I just knew that it would come in handy someday, but I just really never thought it would be for this particular reason um, from doing a podcast. Now, his ATNR integrated by the time that he was six months old, as it should have, so he luckily has not had any difficulties in life related to a retained reflex. Now, the ATNR develops around the 18th week of gestation, and is present at the time of birth. It is known for being helpful during the birthing process so the baby can pass through the birth canal more efficiently and effectively. And I'm going to pause right there to explain this more because I've always known this was one of the things that this reflex helps with and it always makes sense when I say it to people. But I've never really stopped and thought about exactly how this reflex helps with the birthing process So I did some more digging on that, which ultimately took me down a a rabbit hole of Google searches and YouTube videos of live births. But anyway, eventually I climbed back out of the rabbit hole and determined that the reflex helps the infant along with the mother's contractions to move the body down through the birth canal. The side-to-side head, arms, and body movements help the infant make a twisting-type motion in order to move their way down through the birth canal to prepare for exiting the womb. In my mind before this, I was thinking it helped the infant during the process of getting out of the womb itself, but in reality, the baby is in a flexed position prior to the head exiting the cervix. So... 
Both arms are or should be flexed and tucked into the front of their body when the head pushes out. Now, I'm not an expert at newborn deliveries, so this next part is really my best guess based on the information that I was able to find, but it does seem like the person delivering the baby tends to turn their head to one side and the arms seem to come out usually at about the same time. So I wonder if the ATNR does actually help at that moment to some degree as well. I just don't know that for sure. This was just my observation after watching some live births for myself. I had two kids of my own, but I really didn't get to watch or maybe didn't want to. So it was very interesting, cool, and also kind of gross in some ways to watch the videos. But and you might check them out if you're interested. So the ATNR is present starting around 18 months gestation and is therefore present at birth like I just explained. It should integrate by the time the infant is around six months of age. By integrating, I mean that when you try to elicit the reflex, it won't happen anymore. The fencer position does not appear. If it does still appear past six months of age, not six months and one day of age, but relatively close to the six month mark, then the reflex is at risk for being retained. A retained primitive reflex means that the reflex does not integrate, so it will continue or possibly will continue to affect the child and their movements going forward. This should be obvious, but we really don't want to have a retained ATNR reflex, and I will get into those reasons as well. There are also some exceptions to that, which I will also address later today. Before I do that, I want to mention a few ways that the ATNR is helpful besides just during the birthing process. It is also thought to be a precursor to hand-eye coordination, specifically when the infant turns their head to one side, their arm extends, and they have the potential to reach towards an object in their near vision. At this point, the reflex is helping the infant with the ability to quote-unquote reach toward the object, so they aren't really actively reaching for it, but the reflex makes it happen automatically. This is one way to begin reinforcing this early concept of looking at something and trying to get it with their hand. When the reflex becomes integrated, they will potentially then be able to reach toward the object actively or purposefully and continue to develop their visual skills and their hand-eye coordination skills. What will often happen is the reflex will start to slowly integrate over the first six months of life. So as it starts to integrate, you may see only the legs move into the position, for example, or only one hand but not the rest of the limbs as the reflex begins to integrate. This may happen around four months of age where it begins to integrate which is helpful for the infant because this allows them to start bringing their hands together at midline when they're lying on their back. And it also helps when they're starting to learn to roll. The other benefit to an infant having the ATNR present during these first few months is that we can observe it and that lets us know that their neurological system seems to be working, at least as far as this reflex is concerned. If we don't observe the reflex during this time, that is also a concern because it may indicate there is some type of neurological impairment. 
If the reflex is absent during the first month or so of life, or if the reflex is present but then doesn't integrate by the six-month time frame, I would definitely recommend that the parents should, at the very least, discuss this with their baby's pediatrician. Getting back to the initial benefits of having the ATNR. One thing we may not think about is the vestibular system. The head, specifically the inner ear, is responsible for the stimulation of our vestibular system. When the head is turned side to side, the vestibular system is activated by that movement and by the stopping of the movement. So when the infant turns their head to one side or the other and holds it there with this reflex, they're beginning to stimulate that vestibular system. This plays um, a role in balance and body awareness and body alertness, which we'll get into later on. As I mentioned before, it assists with visual development as well. This is especially true for developing near vision when the head is turned to one side, their arm is extended out towards that same side. When we, um, when we touch their hand with a toy or an object on that side, they are working on near vision development. When the ATNR starts to integrate and then does proceed to become integrated, the infant's development will continue to progress in all the areas that I just mentioned. So while the reflex is important to begin certain pieces of the development process, the integration of the reflex is also important to allow those pieces and other pieces of development to continue to progress. For example, when the reflex begins to integrate, the infant starts to have the ability to bring their hands to their midline area. They may already do this when they are laying on their backs with their head facing forward, but now they're beginning to be able to do this while their head is still turned to one side. Instead of their arms going into the reflex position, they will be able to more freely move their arms around even if their head is turned. The good thing about this happening is that if they turn their head from one side to the other side and their arms do not go into the reflex position anymore, they start to build that crossing midline skill which you guys know, crossing midline is one of my main things that I like to talk about because of how important it is. Not only with their arms being crossed at the midline area though, but visually crossing the midline with their eyes while turning their head side to side. You can encourage this by holding a toy up in front of them slightly at one side and then moving it across their midline slowly while they watch it with their eyes to the opposite side. For those of you who don't know this, Midline is the area at the middle of your body. If you start at the top of your head in the middle of your forehead and draw a line straight down the middle of your body to the ground, that is called midline. Another thing we might see is the infant go into the reflex position initially with their head and arms, but if you place a toy in that hand that is extended, they will start to grasp the toy and will begin to be able to bring the toy up towards their mouth for sensory exploration. The infant will also be able to turn their head back to midline and continue holding the toy in their hand. They will begin to bring it to their chest, to their belly and their mouth areas, and eventually they will be able to hold on to the toy using both hands at the same time, especially here at midline. 
The next natural step is to then let go with the hand that was holding the toy first and continue holding the toy with the opposite hand on the opposite side now, which means they are literally crossing midline with the object. This little piece of skill development that we call transferring toys. This encourages both the left and right sides of the brain and body to work together in a very basic but significant way. Crossing midline makes those brain connections that are so important for continued development. When you are testing for this reflex, in my opinion, the most ideal time is around the one month mark. I would say this four to six week time period is probably the easiest time to elicit a strong reflexive response in infants that have the reflex. As they get older and approach the four month age, the reflex might begin to integrate and you may not be able to see it in full action anymore. So when we are evaluating infants in therapy, we don't always get to see them at four weeks of age. Sometimes we come in at four months instead, or even later, and it takes some really good observation skills when we come in at that later time to determine if the ATNR reflex is affecting the infant past the appropriate time frame. If you are evaluating an infant in the early stage around this four to six or even eight week age, and you try to elicit the reflex by turning their head to one side, but their arms and legs don't respond by moving into the reflex position, this is an indicator that the ATNR reflex is not there. This is early enough to know that it is not integrated already, and it would throw up a red flag warning sign to me. What you might see is it, it could be very easy to turn their head to one side. They may not resist this at all or try to turn their head back towards the middle at all. Their arms and legs may just be relaxed. Their arms may be down by their sides or just laying flat on the floor next to their body and their legs doing the same thing in a relaxed position, pretty much just flat on the floor. They may have some movement of their arms and legs, but nothing that even slightly resembles the archer or fencer position. Based on my own experiences with this, I also tend to notice that when the ATNR is not present at this age, the infant often has low tone. This is not a rule or anything, but it's just something that I've noticed a lot over the years. When I'm evaluating an infant's reflexes, especially this one, I usually describe it to the parents what I'm going to do by turning their head and what I'm looking for by doing this. Or depending on the parents and if this is our first time meeting or not, I may just have them do it because they might be more comfortable um, doing it themselves than having me do it. And most people are interested to, to try or learn about it anyway. Regardless, give them a heads up on what you're looking for without going into all of the education about the reflex. I just tell them at this age, we look for the reflex called the ATNR and I want to see if they have it. That way, if you are not able to elicit the reflex, you've already started the process of talking about it and they can see for themselves at the same time that you're looking for it if the infant didn't do it. Now, if this is the first time that I've checked with this infant, I will encourage the parents to continue checking and watching it over the next week or so. Again, this depends on the specific age of the infant and if they are young enough that the reflex should still be strong. 
And I will suggest that the next time they go to the pediatrician for a checkup, they should mention it to the doctor and also have them check. I usually find this to be better than just saying, I would call your doctor right now and get the child into neurology for more testing. Rather than alarming parents, I tend to refer them to their pediatrician to start with and let them refer on from there if they are still seeing the same thing. There have been times when I wasn't able to elicit the reflex that day for some reason, but the next week or weeks later, I was able to. Or during that next week, the parent continues to try and they start seeing it um, appear more often. I can avoid alarming the parents by taking this more casual approach initially, um, especially the first visit or two, and the infant turned out maybe to have the reflex and everything could be fine after that. So you don't necessarily want to make them freak out over something that may actually be there, just it couldn't see it the first first try. Um, now, I wouldn't let it go on too long, though. If you come back for a second visit or a third and you still can't get the reflex to show itself, then I would definitely reiterate calling the doctor and having them check, especially if the parents haven't done it yet. And this time, I would get more into the explanation of what the reflex means and why you want to have the doctor on board at this point. Chances are, since we are involved as therapists in the first place, this infant might have some medical concerns that their doctor is already aware of and monitoring, so they may also be watching for this as well, or will at least be pretty receptive to the information about it and consider possible next steps for them. When evaluating an infant that has a very strong ATNR reflex that doesn't begin to weaken around the four month of age, we also keep an eye on this. This isn't a huge red flag yet, but as um, they get into that closer to the six month age, then um, it might be more of a red flag if it's, if it's not starting to integrate. An infant that does have a strong ATNR reflex during the four to six month age time may not look exactly like you're thinking. They might form the reflex fencer position, but you may also see other signs. For example, they may have higher tone in their body, which would look like their arms and or legs are stiff. They might have a stiffer neck, so they might have trouble lifting their head up off the floor when they're on their tummy and especially struggle with holding their head looking straight straight ahead or looking forward when on their tummy. They might only lift their head to one side or the other when they're on their um, tummy, or they might only lift it partially off the ground, like maybe 45 degree angle or less, and also probably not hold it up, usually for an extended amount of time. Turning their head to face forward and hold that position might be really difficult for them, and they may not be able to do it at all. This might be in part due to the increased tone, which could result in some degree of torticollis. When the infant is lying on their back, you may observe things such as their hands are fisted most of the time, they're not actively reaching toward toys that are held up in front of them, they do not visually track toys across left to right and right to left, and they might have an active grasp reflex, um, which might result in some difficulty with releasing the toy from their hand after you place it in their palm. 
They may not be able to roll from their back to their sides. And often they might be able to roll from their tummy to their back earlier than expected for their age. But if you watch how they do it, their arms might be out stiff with fisted hands. And when they push up, they accidentally push over due to the extended or stiff arms. This is one of those things that most people maybe wouldn't notice, but if you're watching for it, the way they roll just doesn't look quite typical sometimes. Don't ignore that though, because it could be a sign. When a reflex doesn't integrate, it is called retained. So if the ATNR is still present and not showing signs of lessening around the four to five month age and is not integrated or gone by around the six month age, the reflex may be retained. Reflexes that are not present when they should be is a red flag. And reflexes that continue on longer than they should is also a red flag. So retained primitive reflexes such as the ATNR and others have historically been discussed with regard to people who have cerebral palsy. It is not uncommon for kids diagnosed with CP to have retained primitive reflexes. However, I'm hearing about more and more kids, even older kids, having retained primitive reflexes, and I'm talking about kids that do not have cerebral palsy. This topic is coming up with kids with autism, sensory processing disorder, and really, it seems like any kid out there could be at risk. That might be over-exaggerating a little, but I am personally seeing more of the older kids that I work with getting evaluated by some type of professional who reports that they have not just one, but several retained primitive reflexes. And when I say older kids, I'm talking about kids over the age of five or six usually, because it becomes more obvious once they hit school age and even more obvious in the older grades beyond kindergarten. And I'm talking about also not only older kids, but kids who may or may not have a formal medical diagnosis but either their parents or teacher or both has concerns about the child struggling in school with learning. And it's usually surrounding reading, writing, or math that seem to be the most talked about areas of difficulty. Because we are seeing these reflexes in school-aged kids more now, either they are happening more frequently than they used to, or we are getting better at recognizing them, or maybe both. I feel like this is an area that we all need to be aware of and watch for specifically as a possibility with all kids that we work with in therapy. Now I've covered what the reflex looks like and information about when it should integrate. So let's move on to what it could look like when the ATNR doesn't integrate by the six month age range. These are things that could happen as a result of a retained ATNR. In infants 6 months to 18 months of age, they may have difficulty rolling over or be extremely delayed in rolling over. Um, As I mentioned before, the way they roll might look awkward or different than typical. Instead of learning to use their leg to start the rolling process from their back to their side, you might see them arch their head and their back to start rolling until they finally end up on their tummy somehow. From their tummy, you might see Similar actions where they either can't lift their head up well and they don't even attempt to roll, 
or they may be able to push up on their forearms or extended arms and lean their head and body to one side until they basically kind of fall to that direction and finish rolling over once they fall to that side. These are some examples of things that you might see, but of course it could look different depending on the individual. When the infant is lying on their back, they may not naturally bring their hands up together at their chest, belly, or midline area. They may not clasp their hands together at midline or bring both hands up to their face at the same time or bring toys together at the midline to either bang them together or transfer them from one hand to the other. When sitting and playing with toys, you may notice they only pick up toys that are placed on their right side and tend to keep them on that same side rather than bringing them to the middle or to the left side and vice versa. They might begin to position things like containers or puzzles to only one side of their body and play with them using only that same side hand. They might carry an object using only one hand rather than holding especially larger objects with both hands together. When lying on their back, they may have difficulty with visually tracking a toy that you hold up for them. If you track it from one side to the other, they often lose it when it gets to the midline area. If you wait long enough, they might be able to find it again past the midline and continue on the rest of the way across. But that usually takes a lot of shaking and noise making and attention to that object to get them to visually find it again and continue looking at it. If you hold up two toys, one towards the left side and one towards the right side, they may have trouble looking from one toy to the other or gaze shifting between the two toys. They might have a history um, previous or current of torticollis where one side of their neck muscles become tighter because they keep their head turned to that side more than the other. Their balance and vestibular system can be affected. It could take them longer than expected for them to learn how to sit, um, to get into sitting, and then to sit without falling over without support. When their head is rotated towards one side, they might lose their balance more frequently than you would expect and fall over. Creeping and crawling skills can also be delayed due to difficulties coordinating both the left and right sides of their body to do this. In learning all of these gross motor skills, frequent falling can be pretty common. This can cause them to be fatigued a lot from all of the falling and attempting to get back up to sitting or creeping or crawling or walking. As the child enters preschool age and kindergarten, you might notice things like they don't have much interest in looking at books on their own, but they might like for you to read to them. They may not show much interest in coloring or drawing and learning to use scissors. Again, sometimes this is just a typical stage for kids this age. And other times it could be a potential sign that these things might be difficult for them, so they avoid them. At this age, people don't always get concerned about that because the kids are still little. But I would say it is something to be aware of because it may just be a phase for some kids. But for those with a retained ATNR, they could be missing out on some precious early intervention time to practice these pre-reading and pre-writing skills before they become even more demanding in the upper grade levels. 
Speaking of the older grades, in elementary age kids and older, kids with a retained ATNR may demonstrate some of the same difficulties as they did in the younger ages. Those things may look similar, like having difficulties with balance and vestibular activities. They might appear to be clumsy or fall down a lot. They might have difficulty with crossing midline activities and other things as well. The underlying theme here lies with issues with crossing midline. The issues advance from the gross motor issues that are often more obvious in the littler kids to things that affect their ability to learn and function in school and daily life. Now, some of the things we might see in these older kids are things like difficulty with attention and focus. I think a big part of this is because their body is working so hard to balance to maintain sitting or upright positions and moving in a coordinated way that it can be difficult to pay attention to what a teacher or a parent is trying to say. It would be easy to miss details and miss learning concepts when you're fighting, probably subconsciously, to hold your body position. It can also be difficult to concentrate when you may struggle to follow along with where the teacher is on the classroom board due to visual tracking issues. If the child is having difficulty visually looking at letters or numbers written across the board up in front of the classroom and staying on track with the math problem or a sentence the teacher has written, this can make learning and attending very difficult. This child may not have been able to improve their visual tracking skills as an infant, and it could be continuing into their school years. This can affect all areas of school. Anything involving math, reading, and writing skills, which really can be incorporated into all subjects in some way. You might see difficulties with what is called symmetrical representation of figures. If you draw half of a picture on one side of the paper and ask them to draw the same thing on the opposite side of the paper, they might struggle with this. Of course, the drawings would have to be scaled to the appropriate individual skill level, which would be appropriate for their age. For example, if you drew half of a simple flower on the left side of the paper, the child would be able to draw the rest of the flower on the right side to complete this symmetrical figure. Kids with retained ATNR struggle with these types of concepts. You might see more letter and number reversals than expected for their age. This is sometimes called mirror writing. For example, lowercase b and d are commonly reversed by kids in kindergarten and first grade. They might say b when it should be a d, um, especially lowercase, um, and they might say d when it's a b. This also happens a lot with lowercase p and q. Some kids will mirror reverse letters up and down like m and w. Once you start getting past those grades beyond like eight or nine years old, Kids usually stop reversing letters, but some kids with a retained ACNR may continue beyond eight or nine years and continue to cause them to have trouble with reading, writing, and math. A child with retained ACNR might be amb- ambidextrous. When they have trouble crossing midline, they can be- become pretty good at using one hand or the other, but not necessarily good at using both hands together. So they might continue to switch hands frequently when writing. 
when writing a sentence on a piece of paper in front of them. They may even switch hands to finish the sentence rather than continue to write all the way across the midline with the initial hand. Learning how to use scissors can be a struggle. This is a difficult task for kids who have trouble working with both hands together and for kids who have difficulty working at midline because this activity typically requires both of those things. Although I have worked with plenty of kids who tend to hold the scissors and paper to one side of their body while attempting to cut. But this is also usually after I've helped them get a grip on the paper with one hand and grasp the scissors with the other. They may really struggle with cutting out shapes and trying to cut just straight lines on the paper or even just make snipping marks at all. They might have poor posture, scoliosis, could be a possibility and general difficulty with sitting upright in a chair at their desk. All of these skills or lack thereof are not always easy to detect in school-aged kids, especially if they are a kiddo that is in first, second, or third grade and are not receiving any special education services. This can be so difficult for classroom teachers because they may not be expecting it. But when they see that a child is consistently struggling with something in their class and they begin to try all of the things they can help, they can think of to help this child, sometimes they get to the point where they realize the child may need some additional assistance and they will hopefully refer them on to special education for an evaluation. I really think the regular education classroom teachers are key players for these kids. We need for them to be able to recognize these signs and advocate for these kids to be assessed further. But honestly, we need to make sure that all educators and therapists have some understanding of this reflex. The more eyes we have on all these kids in our schools, the more likely we're able to recognize they need help and to actually get them help in the school setting. And Helping them in the school setting may be a lot of modifications and accommodations in their classroom. Which kinds of, kind of leads us right into the next section, for t- which is how do we help these kids? What do we need to do to help them integrate this reflex? These are the questions that I will be answering in part two of this topic in the next episode. So look for that one to be coming out soon. I will discuss not only these questions, but I will also present a research study that I found regarding retained primitive reflexes. I will also address a question that I received through Instagram about the benefits of reflex integration and how it benefits kids who have minimal functional movement. So that's where I'm going to end for today. Um, I appreciate you guys listening and have a great day.